Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know we did. I know that I'm still uh, recovering from the food coma from all of that, but uh, you know, it's the one time of year we can we can kind of come out of this. Bill, Gretchen, how are you guys doing? Doing all right. Yep. Now, Gretchen, I know you just moved, so you're dealing with that too, and Thanksgiving and everything else. But it's a good move, so yeah. hopefully it's positive. You know. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, as we do this time of year, we are going to have a clip show, and we are going to feature some of the things over the last two years that are worth featuring. A couple of interviews, 3D printers in this section. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Check out our new website, userfriendlyshow.com. We've got everything out there for you, our archives, our social media. You can look anything up and you can send us what you want to hear. Joining us today is an amazing author, Joseph M. Leonard, Honor, Integrity, uh, Participation, Patriotism. There we go. I can even say the word. Hi, welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> I, you know, hey, we all get tongue tied at times. I was on the show just the other day, you know, similar thing at where I was getting tongue tied. The brain and the tongue weren't cooperating, you know, and I was like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, man. like hey, I, I, I'm an author. I write better than I speak. Right. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. The only problem is I'm supposed to be able to speak well, and I'll tell you. And I'd read it before. I just couldn't say the word. I'll tell you what, all that's going on in the world today. Maybe there's more to that. But uh, anyway, so you have written some incredible books here, uh, Terror Strikes. And I, go ahead and tell us a little bit about that process and, and what it is and what you did. Yeah. Uh, mo- I've been writing my whole life. I, I'm I'm 60 years old. I've been writing my, uh, you know, since early on because I had got the creative gene uh, from my father, Ted Leonard Jr. and the Polka Kings is, or well, was his band. May he rest in peace, of course. <laughs> but you could still find their three vinyl albums out there still today. To buy as well as of course some 45 rpms you know that's way back when everything was on vinyl <laughs> and but i got the creative dream from that side my dad's side of the family and yeah i dabbled in music and recorded music wrote recorded and all that too but you know those were the days the 70s the 80s that your only option for that to work was to send demos and get a record deal of some kind. You know, unlike today, anyone can record on their digital studio laptop, <laughs> upload to a site, and sell everything at 99 cents a pop without a record company. You know, and same is true with publishing today, which is why I wrote my second internationally published book, which we'll get into. But yeah, I've written many books. I only have two currently that are internationally available, though. And yeah, Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You was my first international book. And most of my writings actually come to me in dreams. And it did in 2006. But I had a beginning, I had a middle, I had an end. But I just knew something was missing. Pieces were missing. 
and I put it aside, figuring, you know, six months, a year, two years, I'll finish it. Fifteen years later, <laughs> in 2021, the dream came back. I said, oh, okay, I get it. Right, now is the time. And, you know, like manna from heaven, those missing pages uh, just flowed through onto the page, filled themselves up, and it came out in 2022 because the, that was the right time. Because people seem to think because of the Wuhan hysteria on their news 24-7, terrorism went away. It didn't. It hasn't. It's still happening. It is going to still occur. It's just that you're not hearing about it on your nightly news all the time. Uh, so, and I need to also add, though, the important thing that, again, I can write better than I could talk. <laughs> uh, it's not just about terrorism. Martin, my lead character, is a newspaper man who decides to write a book on terrorism. So that's the main story driver, the thread throughout. But it is about a lot of things. So I like to say it's a book about life over death, hope over fear, you know, good over evil, those sorts of things. Values, positive values, our values, which is why they want to kill us. You know, all those sub-themes, not just terrorism, but general crime. I'm not selling fear porn. I want you to live your life. I don't want you to be paranoid. I want you, however, to not be stupid, right? right I don't right. want you to live with reckless abandon, clueless to anything and everything going on around you. Like I say in the Naperville chapter, Teresa says she thought she was the uh, more the mama bear she knew she needs to be for her young child, but it turns out she's more of an ostrich. And, you know, if an ostrich wanders onto the train track, hears the whistle, buries its head between the tracks, isn't going to stop it from being bowled over by the fact that it just doesn't see it and hear it coming. Right, right. No, I, I and I think that sounds amazing. Now, the the you know this is described, and reviewers have called this compelling, historically accurate, and utterly unique. You have that on your website, but it is also a fictional piece. So, how did that work out? Yeah, it's historical fiction. I wrote okay. it. I I like to call it faction, part fact, okay, part fiction. I like that we, term, faction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's because it, I mean the issue of. Historical ignorance is one of the sub-themes in and of itself. Our education system is so horrible, people don't know anything, and they feel great about the fact that they don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> they brag so, about it, I'll tell you. <laughs> so I had to deal in historical aspects, factual things to help, you know, lend credence to the fictional storyline and at the same time present some things that are relevant that the reader may have forgotten or never knew in the first place, like the whole balloon incident of like mm -hmm. 
people are clueless to the fact that the Japanese attacked the mainland, killed Americans, destroyed American property using balloon bombs during World War II. Oh, yeah, no, it's a very, a very real thing. A lot of people don't know that. Those who read my book know that. And those who read my book then aren't laughing about this balloon. You know, yes, China has very sophisticated ICBMs. They don't need to strap a nuke to a balloon and send it over. North Korea, however. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole nother. I'll tell you, and it just it gets scary when you think about that. I just uh, just at the end of the day. All right, well, we're about to go to a break. And when we get back here, um, we're going to come back and talk about your other book on how to write and publish and have a discussion about developing websites that I think could be kind of interesting. And what that'll be is you and I kind of talked about this before we started recording on which is better, a lot of information or a little. And we get questions in on that all the time. So, you know, it's definitely a valid concern and something that, uh, you know, what's better out there and what's the better way to do it? This is User-Friendly 2.0, userfriendlyshow.com. We will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. On with me is Joseph M. Leonard. We were just talking about his book, Terror Strikes. And now we're going to be talking about the other book that you've worked on and published called How to Write and Publish. Uh, so that's <laughs> so. tell us a little bit, when did that get out and what caused you to put that together? Uh, that came out in December of 2022. So that, that's a fairly recent thing. And I found while I was promoting terror strikes coming soon to a city near you, people would then invariably say, Will you come back and just discuss writing and publishing rather than that book specifically? And I said, of course, sure. (laughs) And after a dozen of those, the light bulb went on. Duh. Obviously, there's a market for that book because people keep asking me for that information. So, you know, of course, I went on Amazon because, you know, 80% of all books are sold at Amazon these days uh, and did a search. And sure enough, endless page upon page upon page about how to publish a book on Amazon. Nothing, nothing about all those things they were actually asking about. Well, what are the different kind of writing philosophies and processes? And, uh, you know, so from creation to writing to uh, to the actual publishing options, because there's a myriad of them, post-publication promotion, reviews, all those things in one book at a reasonable price rather than buying five different books. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I was looking through that a little bit, too, and there's some good information in there. And- you know, you talk about promotion, and that kind of brings us into our next topic here, which is everything that's out there now pretty much needs a website. Uh, you know, no matter what it is, that's kind of the yellow pages or what the, for people that would even remember that at this day and age. And the thing of it is, is there are two schools of thought. One of them is, is you put up something very brief. This is what it is and click here to buy it. And then there's the other end of that spectrum that is, let's give you as much information as possible. If you want to look at it, it's there kind of thing. Where do you fall on that? Yeah, exactly. And we were joking about this a bit before we even started. Uh, I kind of do both. But I believe, I mean, it's a fact. You can't see something that isn't there. 
that. Right. You you can ignore something that is there, but you right. can't True. go find something that doesn't exist. And I have kind of both. My Joseph M. Leonard, and it looks like Leonard, but it's Leonard, but with no O. Joseph M. Leonard.us is that basic billboard philosophy put together as my author page by my publisher. But TerrorStrikes.info, which is specifically for my book, has boatloads of stuff. Yeah, way more information. That's a good word. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Look at it if you want. Don't want to look at it? That's fine. Your choice. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I was noticing, yeah, you've got kind of both things going on here, which is kind of cool. And, you know, from that standpoint, too, when you're thinking about promotion, you also are thinking about you're an author. So the other question is, is you have to know some technology to put out a website or hire somebody to do it. And we were kind of diving into that a little bit and having a little bit of a rap session on WordPress, I know, earlier. Yeah, yeah. And I I see you use both here. It looks like you're on WordPress. And I think you said on Wix for your other site. What is your preference and and why? Well, I'm a former IT guy. So, I mean, I tell anybody, if you're looking for a simple way to put up a website, Wix is really the way to go, in my opinion. It truly is WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. You click something, you plop it, you drag it, you add text, you insert a picture or a video. It's simple. WordPress is kind of clunky. Originally, my author site was put up by my publisher, and the person there works in WordPress, so that's how it got built. I now, of course, have to fumble with it to maintain it. (laughs) I I had created my book site, TerrorStrikes.info, using Wix, uh, before the book was ever published. <laughs> okay, so, so that was the history of it. So yours, you, you chose that, and then they did the other one because they do the other one, sounds like. And Yeah, you, you know, know, that's they where it's went at. with what they're familiar with, and I, of course, I went with what's simplest. You know, right. I go all <laughs> the way back to the early days since before the internet was even built. I used to hand-build the website HTML code oh, uh, I remember at a time. You know, <laughs> I remember I remember those days, I'll tell you. Well, listen, thanks for joining us. And TerrorStrikes.info is the website. JosephMLeonard.us is the other website. We're going to put that out on our social media at One User Friendly. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. We got a lot of questions in when we were talking about 3D printers and the fact that car manufacturers are using them to build parts and all that type of thing. And then that AI and robots can interact with them and that you actually don't need a human. But what about where you do want a human. Now, Jeremy, you have used 3D printers for a long time. I think the longest of anybody I know. Yes. And <laughs> what? let's actually just start at the very beginning. Why did you get a 3D printer and what overall do you do with it? Uh, I wanted to build a print miniatures for uh, D&D because I saw some really cool designs online and I wanted to have them. But the only way to get them was to, be, to print them yourself at the time. And then you had a friend I had a- who who was kind of down on her luck and she had a used 3d printer right? and she offered to sell it to him. Yeah. So I bought that 3d printer, which was a contained unit that required special filament. Uh, and I had to mod that and get some electronics and you, you helped me do all the soldering uh, for that little computer board that rewrote the, the um, little IR chip. 
So, okay, so let's actually, let's actually back up and talk about that a little bit because I think there's a lot of people where that was just a bunch of techno babble. So mm. what we're talking about here first to start with is 3D printers use filament. It's kind of like the ink in your paper printer. Right. And these come on rolls, and it's basically a kind of plastic or other material that's used to actually create the 3D printed object. Now, and they're not all the same. Yeah, they're not no. all the same. Like, like everything else, the manufacturers want to keep selling you ink, or in this case, filament. And they make it in such a way that a lot of printers will only take specific filament made by a specific manufacturer. So, again, it's the idea if you have an HP printer and you want to refill the cartridge, uh, they make it as difficult as possible to do it sometimes where there's a chip and all the rest of that. And 3D printers are the same way. So what Jeremy was talking about is uh, we removed that feature. Yes. we Actually, we, we, hack, we hacked it. Yes. Because I had to 3D print parts to contain the electronics and the, to a spot to put the little IR tag underneath the reader. Because usually when you put the, the roll of filament inside the machine, it had to be a certain size. So the, the roll is a lot smaller and a lot denser, and it had to have a little chip inside the roll. So I was basically um, like scamming it and saying, hey, this is, the, this is the roll, this is the size, this is how much material is on it. And then we had to like run that through the outside of the machine with some extra hoses, and it worked. It, it printed well until uh, it got really clogged up once. Uh, the nozzle got clogged, the extruder got clogged, and I had to replace it. And then I had to update the software, and it didn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And then at that point, we got you kind of an open-source 3D printer, I remember. Yeah, I had to build it myself. Which is kind of cool. it arrived like an IKEA box. Right, it's right. kind of scary. Cold flat, cold flat three D printers. You know, it's, yeah. yeah, it was cool. <laughs> so, but, but I I've really, I've really enjoyed using it. It's been a lot of fun, and it's kind of frustrating at times. But if you realize that you have to keep some some stock spare parts on hand, like I have a a ton of nozzles. Just in case, because the nozzles get clogged and there's right. nothing you can do to clear it. And those so little you, those little flat sheets. Yeah, the the print beds. Because we we you got me the upgraded uh, magnetic bed, and I love that. It is so cool. Well, I also but remember some, the first time we tried to use that, we ended up jamming the extruder into the bed and creating. Oh yeah. A, 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 well, let's well, say a well it was like we're, print. we're yeah, supposed to calibrate it, and the machine went nuts, and it just <laughs> jammed its nose down and went. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're was, like, oh, that's because I, I wasn't able to level the bed. Yeah, and that was like oh, that was like an act of Congress. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm a little worried that the next time we move, uh oh, <laughs> it, it'll be fine. I'm I'll, I'll I'm gonna hand carry it. It'll be all right. Okay. <laughs> so, what you can do with 3D printers are amazing. They were talking about technology where they can print medical implants. Yes, food in some cases. Listener question that's come in is about the idea of is it possible to 3D build a house? And it absolutely is. This is actually being done a lot. Yeah, yes. I've seen videos of this big giant, I guess it's concrete the extruder. It's a concrete. Printer. Yeah, and it just does this big, you know, and it's yeah. kind of cool. I think it's in some place. It's like Africa? Yeah, it, Africa, the Netherlands. Yeah, the Netherlands is a big place for this. I know, and they might have done it by now. I'd have to check. My information's not that current, but I know they were planning a 3D printer bridge. Oh, oh that'd be cool. So, you know, these type of things work well for that. And the other thing that's interesting, too, is in the United States, we have a housing shortage. And you can 3D print a house for the material about $4,000 at a cost, which makes it a lot more reasonable. Now, of course, that doesn't include finishes and all the other stuff. It's just the structure. But it's still a lot less than it is to do a conventional build. 
and something that can also be done a lot faster. Huh. Yeah. So I know the pictures of these printers are absolutely amazing and certainly is something that's that's kind of cool to look at and just see how it works. And then the next question that we get asked a lot is how do you make the 3D models to print? And I know, Jeremy, you've had some trouble with this. Yeah, I, I, for some reason, the 3D software, I, I, I watched the videos, I've tried the tutorials. It is just not sticking in my brain, and right. I don't know why. It doesn't seem to be intuitive. No. Right. Yeah. It's, right. it's, it's weird. So there's this is actually a split thing, and having to learn this recently myself, you've got some different steps that you have to take here to actually make this work. The first thing is you need to have something to design the 3D model in, a CAD, computer-aided design program. There's a number of these out there. 3ds Max is a commonly used one. Blender is one that's open source and free that works quite well. Fusion 360, Tinkercad, some others, and those are all different ones that will create the initial model. So, it, is it is it are those anything like the old um, 3D uh, AutoCAD? AutoCAD's an, AutoCAD's another one. Yeah, CAD is. Okay. Uh, there's similarities between all of these, uh, a bit like the, the difference between Word and OpenOffice or something. So okay. the capabilities are similar, but one costs a lot, one doesn't. Some have very specific applications. But in, if you have worked with CAD software, it'd be a lot easier for you to pick up these kind of programs because it is CAD software. It's just for okay. 3D prints. And you build it out in that, and then you need a second piece of software that is an intermediary called a slicer. And this is something that gets a little bit... It's less understood, but it's actually not that difficult. What it does is it basically converts the 3D image or the 3D object into a language the 3D printer can understand. So it takes what you've made in your CAD program, sets it up to work with your 3D printer, and then that creates the actual file that you send to the printer to make the object in the physical model. So those are the two pieces you need. And with that, and you can get this all open source if you use Blender and mm -hmm. find a slicer software that'll work with uh, uh, your printer. And there's a number of these out there, too. Utilimaker is one of the more universal ones. Put those together, and you should be able to make your own 3D objects that will come out on your printer. So, And I mm -hmm. think there's a certain amount of artistic skill required in this, too, just to do the CAD right, I would imagine. Yeah, pretty much. You know, you're going to have to be able to visualize the object, which... It's taken me a lot to learn how to do that, and uh, at the end of the day, I'm getting better at it. But I, I've never had that artist eye that a lot of people mm -hmm. do. I know you guys do. I, you know, can barely draw a straight line, much less a 3D model. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Oh, but, I did take sculpture. Yes, <laughs> I did not. So there you are. But anyway, mm -hmm. some basics on 3D printing. Kind of a cool thing, and a lot of people are having a lot of fun with this, but it's also being used very much in a commercial environment. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. I still have to try out a 3D printer on my own. I mean, I've used them, but I don't have my own. So I think maybe I'm going to order that for myself this year as a holiday present. I have and one. I'll let you know if I agree with everything. <laughs> All right, this is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Check us out online at userfriendly.show. 
Got everything on our website that you would need or want, or maybe even not want. We're continuing along here with our Thanksgiving clip show. And in this next section, we're going to be looking back at some past things, including cord cutting. This actually goes back a couple of years, but it's interesting to see where this has grown, which is why we wanted to rerun that, because there's a, some differences and some things that are very much the same, and it seems to have accelerated. Smart holiday lights, that's coming right up here, so that's always relevant. And then we're going to be talking a little bit about app development, and again, this goes back about two years. And just again, as an interesting comparison, you kind of see where it was then and where we are now, so let's go ahead and jump in. Hey everybody, this is Bill Snodgrass. Join user-friendly in supporting the people of the Ukraine with President Zelensky's United24 campaign. Help is needed with healthcare, demining, and many, many other things. You decide where your support goes. Go to userfriendly.show and click the Ukrainian flag at the bottom of the homepage for more information. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. So we've got a question for you. It's one that was asked for this week's Tech Wednesday, and we wanted to dive into this a little bit more, but Privacy has changed a lot since the internet, and we all know that. And everything seems like it's under surveillance lately. You go to a store, there's surveillance cameras. We have them on our house. We even have them in our cars. But the question that I have to ask is, where does this go too far? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly from what you described in that article. Oh, my goodness. So huh. what we have for are some products that are out there that mimic things that you would have around your house or office that actually contain security cameras. So first thing I'm going to say is if you haven't seen this week's Tech Wednesday article, go check it out. It's at TheAnswerPortland.com under Tech Wednesday. And what we're talking about is things like smoke alarms, USB chargers, even pens and pencils that contain cameras. Outlets. Outlets. Yeah, that was the other word. Yeah. One of the ground plugs is a camera in the outlet. You know, that type of a thing. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of stuff advertised in some of the, you know, sales catalog things, nanny cam stuff where it's the cameras in a, in a clock or, or in a, a teddy toy. bear yeah. or a toy. Yeah. Um, but that's like to keep track of like your, you know, the nanny and your kids, not to spy on other people, uh, who, you know, it, 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 those, those, those actually have a purpose. Yeah. It's like, um, you, you want to protect your children and in some cases, they even will use stuff like that um, for seniors. Mm -hmm. If you suspect that your senior is being abused in their care facility. But this uh, these other items that Bill has discovered have a more insidious feel to them. That's a good word, insidious. I think what really kind of freaked me about now, I think it's important to point out before I say that too, is just the idea that really any hidden camera could be used for a, a necessary purpose like what you just described. Right. But some of these things, the one that really caught my attention when I was first looking into this was the smoke alarms. Now, I use this system in my home. They're first alert. They're a great brand, at least something that's always been highly recommended. I've had a very good experience with them. And the actual alarms that I use connect to the ring doorbell, so they're networked. And they have smoke and heat and carbon monoxide and all that stuff built in. And you have one in each room, and it takes care of that system. But the other device we found looks just like them down to the same printing, including the brand name. But instead of being a smoke alarm, it actually contains two cameras, one shooting from the side and one shooting from the top down. And this device is set up in such a way that it can be hardwired into your electrical. So that's what powers the cameras. 
but you wouldn't know. And you really look at it and you wouldn't know. Now, when you buy these things, it's not like you're going to mistake and order the wrong one because they are quite a bit more money. And the way that I found them represented online at all the retailers is it did say that they contained hidden cameras. So it's not like they're trying to sneak them into the smoke alarm in that way. But once it's okay. installed, you wouldn't know. I mean, when you walk into yeah. the house, you would not know that I'm, there was a camera. I'm thinking more of a more insidious uh, purpose or, or installation where um, the, the homeowner isn't the person purchasing the item. Uh, somebody else's and replacing something they already have. Right. And that's, that's what I'm concerned about. That was my, you know feel, what I mean? my feeling too. Yeah. Well, and the other thing of it is, is some people own their homes, but a lot of people rent. And yeah. usually yeah. if you rent a house or an apartment or something, something like a smoke alarm mm -hmm. is included with the rental. In fact, a lot of states, most states actually require that. Yeah. So In hotel rooms? Hotel rooms are another one. Any place like that. And you wouldn't think twice about it because there's smoke alarms everywhere. I mean, that's a very normal part. Outlets yeah. are another one. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, the outlet one it was really creepy too. I mean, that could be put in somebody's office. I, I think of industrial espionage. You know, right. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and that type of a thing. Now, when you install it. Again, from the back of it, you can tell that there's something very strange going on. Plus, you'd have to configure them, and they also require an internet connection to be able to broadcast the signal. So there's mm -hmm. a few steps to making these things work, but nevertheless, it's very easy to do, and there's an application and uh, all kinds of things out there to be able to monitor and record. They have DVR functionality and all the rest of that, just like any surveillance system. It's just something that by design... You can't really see what it is. And some of the other devices that contain these, I mean, the list goes on clock radios. So, Jeremy, you were talking about a clock. Mm -hmm. but this is like a clock radio that would sit on your nightstand. And, it, and oh, the yeah. thing about it is these devices are fully functional. Those are, at least. The smoke alarm is not. Hmm. But the devices, like the electrical outlet, they had a power tap or a power bar that had three outlets on it and two USB chargers, and all of those ports work. And the top part where the on-off light is, that's the camera on that device. So, you know, again, it's one of these type of situations. And because it's connected to constant power, it will mm -hmm. work. It's not like it has a battery that needs to be changed or something. So it's something to be aware of. Now, question that's asked is what can you do to protect yourself? And there's a couple of things. for if you, Especially if you stay in hotels and stuff a lot or are concerned about it. The other place where they've been finding some of these equipment is uh, public restrooms which that goes down an entirely other path, but it is something uh -huh. to be aware of, is on retailers like Amazon and other places, you can get camera detectors. They start at about 20 bucks and go up from there, depending on what you want and you know how good you want it to be. One of the tricks I found is to use your cell phone, and the cell phone will see infrared light that you can't. So it'll look almost like there's a flashlight beam when you're looking through the screen at the wall if there's a camera there. Now, the one thing about it is, is that doesn't work in the light a lot because the IR infrared is only turned on usually when it's dark. So you might want to turn the light off in the room and then scan it with your phone. And if you see anything that looks like a light that you can't see, that would definitely be a red flag. Now, that wouldn't work if you were in a restaurant bathroom or a store dressing room. Correct. It would only work somewhere where there's infrared light. So it doesn't work 100% of the time, but it is a way to check out some locations. Mm -hmm. The camera detectors will do more. They're not 100% either. 
but it will pick up on some things. Now, the Star Trek tricorder scanner for that kind of thing, as far as I can tell, doesn't exist yet. <laughs> but definitely would be something out there, or maybe an app or something that would help mm-hmm. with that with the sensors on the phone. But this is definitely something that is out there. It's part of our world now. And it is something to think about and just keep an eye. If something doesn't look right, you know, take a second look at it. But some of these other things are designed to fit right in. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to circle back to Chaz with another interview live from the floor in Las Vegas. Chaz. Hi, Bill. Uh, yeah, I'm back at the technology conference, the Nevada Hotel and Lodging Association Technology Conference at the Black Fire Innovation Center, here with Joanna Bowie. She is the president and CEO of Smart Faucets, and she's also an author. I'm going to let uh, Joanna tell us a little bit about her product and her book. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Joanna Boy, owner and inventor of Smart Faucets. Today, I'd like to introduce a little bit about myself. I came from a very happy family. So my mom, after having seven kids, she realized that when the kids go to bed laughing, they wake up laughing. So she tickled all of us until we all laugh. So my whole family is always laughing, and everybody keeps asking me, why are you so happy? So I decided to write this book, How to Be Happy Forever. It's sold at Amazon if you'd like to buy it, or you can email me at info.smartfaucets at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to send you an, um, a copy. So I came from uh, Singapore. I graduated um, with the University of Singapore with a double major in economics and mathematics, I'm also the top 5% stockbroker with Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, Citibank, and I can show you how to invest in the stock market without losing a dime. So what is Smart Faucets? Smart Faucets is a pattern-right-approved technology with preset timer and temperature. It's been lab-tested by Marymount University of California to save 40% water, gas, electric. Smart Faucets combines a motion sensor faucet with our smart touchpad to improve sanitation, convenience, and water conservation. In April 2021, I won the top prize award for new technology innovation by ABAOC. The top judges were Walt Disney and Southern California Gas Company. With the current pandemic and worldwide shortage of clean drinking water, auto shuttle faucets is not only increasing in demand, but soon be a daily necessity. Unfortunately, the only auto shuttle faucets is the motion sensor faucets, but it often fails, hence you only see them in public restrooms with multiple sinks and not in hotel rooms with only one sink. The reason being is because the motion sensor has high battery failure that requires constant changing of batteries. Smart Faucets uses a hydroelectric power battery that's rechargeable by the maids, which makes you look a lot more environmental, not having to flood the environment with millions of batteries. Smart Faucets have been lab-tested by IATMO for 500,000 hits without failure, which will give you a lifespan of 30 years if used 50 times a day, making us the most reliable, durable, economical electronic faucets in the long run even more economical than manual faucets with savings in water, gas, electric. Smart Faucet is now funded by PACE, 
which is approved in 20 states, is a government-backed financing where owners can install smart faucets with no money out of pocket and even receive $150 federal tax credit per unit installed. To qualify for pays, smart faucets must be green and last more than 10 years. Smart faucets can also be an individual, individual touchpad that attaches to your beautiful faucet to replace your faucet handles for added sanitation, convenience and water conservation, both for bathroom sink, showers and bathtub. Smart faucets is coming up with a new design with digital advertising. Have you seen the gas station with a little TV screen above the, the gas station? That company sold for $100 million, and half the time I only look at it for two seconds. With smart faucets, we can have undivided attention when you're brushing your teeth, washing your face, shaving, and washing your hands. We get 500 times more attention than the gas TV ads. Do you know that if we even charge 10 cents per 10 seconds, rotating at a rate of 10 minutes, smart faucets can generate $10 million in digital advertising revenue per 5,000 rooms in Las Vegas. So what's so special about smart faucets? We own the pattern on the timer technology. We default at 5 seconds. Why 5 seconds? Because it takes only 3 seconds to fill up your cup. So while you're brushing your teeth, water is shut off, saving 2 gallons of water twice a day. Smart faucets also own the pattern on the preset temperature. A lot of water is wasted adjusting that water temperature. Do you know that 6 seconds adjustment 20 times a day and I'll save you another 2 gallons of water? With a savings of 4 gallons of water a day, that's 1,500, gallon, 1500 gallons a year. 10,000 rooms means 15 million gallons saved. Southern Nevada Water District is offering a water rebate of $45 per thousand gallons, up to $100,000 per building. For new construction, smart faucets can help qualify for smaller water pipe and can save you millions and thousands of dollars on monthly water service fee and water connection fee. Smart faucets own the pattern on the timer technology. We can help prevent bathtub overflow. Bathtub overflow is a very costly weekly affair in Vegas, and it can help save millions of gallons of water. Smart faucets can also help avoid the first splash of cold water by placing outside the shower, so you will not have to um, turn on the shower with, um, when you're inside and get a first splash of cold water. Most importantly, smart faucets more than pay for itself in the kitchen sinks. It can help save as much as $4,000 a year in paper towels, labor costs disposing that paper towels, and water gas electric. Because by law, kitchen uh, staff cannot touch the dirty faucet handles after they wash their hands, hence they grab a bunch of paper towels to turn off the faucets. If you even save $10 a day, in labor costs disposing those paper towels, we save $4,000 a year, plus paper towels. Smart faucets also allow you to put a label with your hotel name and logo that offers free advertising and sanitation. Unlike most touchless technology that costs you money, smart faucets actually save you money in water, gas, electric, paper towels, and even pays you money with $150 federal tax credit and Nevada water rebate and digital advertising. While most green innovations save only one natural resource, smart faucets make, saves all four natural resources. It makes you look environmental, socially and sustainably responsible. Smart faucet is the faucet of the future.
Thanks, Joanna. I appreciate your time, and we look forward to speaking with you again, and uh, enjoy the conference. Thank you. Chaz, thank you. Smart faucets sound like something interesting, and having that in a hotel would be kind of cool. I might have to check that out. That might be an upgrade for next year here at my house. See how it goes. I'll let you know. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a special extended Q&A segment this week. Had a lot of good questions come in, and keep them coming. Our number is 503-766-6264. You can call that number anytime, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Leave your questions and your comments. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like to find out. One User-Friendly on Facebook and Twitter. We're on both of those social media platforms or userfriendlynation.com is the website. Any of those places you can go to submit questions, comments, let us know what you like, let us know what you don't like. So what questions do we have this week? Is Apple loading pornographic images on my iPhone? Yeah, so, you know, this sounds almost like a joke in a way, because, of course, why would Apple be doing that? And the bottom line of it is, is there actually is some truth to it, but not exactly as one may think. So what we have going on here is in updates that are coming out to iOS, I believe, 13. The phone, or the the iPhone 13, rather, the idea here is that when you upload pictures to iCloud, this kind of a thing, the system will scan for child pornography. The idea being that it's a way to be able to hopefully, elim- not eliminate, of course, but try to minimize that, I think, would be the best way to do it. And, or um, reduce. Or reduce, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and my feeling on it is anything like that, that we can get rid of those kind of horrible things, is a good idea. The problem, of course, is that's being raised is this idea of a privacy concern and how would something like that work, which is where the question comes from. And what's actually going on here is they have known image fingerprints. So what that means is that's a digital file. You, If you looked at it, it wouldn't be a picture. It wouldn't make any sense to the human, but to the electronic device, it does. So that if a picture is being uploaded that matches that fingerprint, that's when it's able to tag it as a, a pornographic child pornography image. So hmm. it isn't loading pornographic images to your device, but since it can run offline, it is loading these fingerprint files to the device. And that's what it's using to be able to make that comparison. So it isn't really a joke question. The fact of the matter is, is that this system is out there. And if you want details of it, you can go online. We talked about it on Tech Wednesday a while back, too, of where they're going with this and why. And a lot of people love it and a lot of people don't. So what is the Oculus Quest recall? Yeah, this is for the Quest 2. This is the headset that we've been trying out for the past year. I need to get mine back out. I haven't used it in a while. And, yeah, uh, I'm on the, I'm in the same boat with you. Yeah, it's just hmm. it's been the summer, you know, and there's been other things yeah. going on, but it's now fall and um I really like it and and some of the games on it are really good, but they did have a problem that the foam that actually sits against your face on the headset was causing an allergic reaction for some people. So what they've done here is anybody that owns it you can go on and request 
this thing to fix the recall. So you don't actually have to set them the headset, but they send you, uh, it's like a rubber thing that goes over it. It literally just covers it and mm-hmm. it fixes that problem. So that's what's going on. And that's what the issue was. And that's what they've done to fix it. What is a good aftermarket car stereo? Yeah. Um, listener question. <laughs> that's I've really vague. With, yeah. It's uh, well, the thing of it is, is there's some issues out there. I actually talked to the listener on this because I'm having a problem with the same area myself to find out what they were really going for. Because just generically from the ratings, there's some good ones out there, Alpine, Kenwood, you know, that kind of a thing. But more what they're wondering or what the question was about is in modern cars, your screen, which is your stereo usually, has a lot of other functions through it. So it's all integrated into the car. A lot of times your AC controls, all of that kind of stuff. There's buttons in the steering wheels. There's all kinds of different things. So if you want to replace the radio, say like what I'm trying to do right now and adding a navigation head unit, it isn't like it used to be where you just change the radio and you're good to go. It is a massive undertaking in some cases. Huh. And being able to figure that out is uh, is an issue. So to address more what the listener was asking us about with this is if you were to go buy a good aftermarket stereo, you go to you know Big Box or online, figure out one that you like. There's all kinds of ratings and stuff out there for that. And then you put it in your car. Okay, like the issue I'm having... I actually got a newer version of the factory stereo for it, tried to put it in, and the stereo worked after some doing with a wiring harness adapter and things, but it won't talk to the rest of the car. So the backup speakers, the Bluetooth microphone, the steering wheel controls, remote screen, all that stuff doesn't work. Hmm. And you potentially could have these same kind of problems in an aftermarket stereo. Plus, I found the ones that do include a Bluetooth microphone those microphones, I don't know. They usually aren't pretty good. Some are okay, but it's people complain they can't hear you break up, that kind of a thing. So at the end of the day, these are all things that you have to look at. Now, on the market, there's a number of devices. Of course, all of this costs more money than the stereo on top of it. To be <laughs> able to adapt most functions in modern cars, to be able to work with the aftermarket stereo, so the uh, adapter for your steering wheel controls, that's been out for a long time. But other stuff like your backup camera, that actually may be an option. If it's not, then you have to wire in another one and all of that. And there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. So getting the one that's in there to work. The one that's more complicated is being able to interface with the car's onboard computer for things like climate control readouts, all of that kind of stuff. But it is still possible. They do make things to be able to do that. But again, if you're buying, let's say, a $1,200 stereo, because that's kind of the price range of the good ones, you still then probably are going to need another $200 worth of adapters and things on top of it to really be able to get it to work properly. In some cars, like that uh, brown BMW I used to have, you simply can't do it. It's made in such a way that even the car and stereo installer people just, we don't work on that model. So that's another thing to check out. So do your research Figure out what it is, and if there's some features that are not available, decide if you can live without them. And then the other thing is, is if you like the aesthetics, make sure that what you get will look nice in your car. Is the book of Boba Fett actually being made? Uh, do you guys know anything about what's happening with this? No. It, yes, it is being made. They are working on it, and it's going to be out later this year. December. Is it later this year? Like yeah, December? December. Yeah. Because yeah. I haven't heard anything about it being canceled or no. anything. I yeah. just think it's probably a pretty good sized project. Yeah. 
And um, the people that are working on it are also working on other projects. So it, you've got people multitasking. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that's definitely the case. But it is they, they actually do have a date and it is in December. I don't think there's a date in December yet. So it's a, kind of a broader time frame. But it is coming out. It's a spinoff of Mandalorian and it looks like it's going to be pretty good. What is AI biometric surveillance? Yeah, this is an interesting topic. And I think we're <laughs> going to go into this in a little more detail on a future show. Uh, get an expert on with this, but the, the raw definition of this is simply the ability for AI to be able to use biometric functions to identify people. So in other words, you have a camera that's out in the public area, the AI can look at it, see things like your gait, facial recognition, all of that kind of stuff, and be able to tell who you are. The European Union is moving to ban most of this. Uh, it could be a huge invasion of security and privacy. So, you know, be an interesting thing to see where the laws go with that. But yeah, that's what it is. That's a very brief definition. But when we have more time, we're going to dive into this a little bit more and talk about how this will affect you. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're hoping that everybody had a happy, wonderful, safe Thanksgiving. Until next week, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.